What is up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Bleeding BNG Podcast, episode 47. So what is up, my Washington Commander families? How are you guys doing? If you guys are on YouTube, check it out. New backdrop, new backdrop featuring the Washington Commanders logo. Just a sign of many things to come over here at Bleeding BNG. So we're getting this whole space looking YouTube ready because we're, we're trying to become them YouTube baddies, them YouTube stars. That's what we're trying to become over here at Bleeding BNG. So just slight, um, you know, improvements to our aesthetics and things like that coming for the page. So I'm glad that you guys are checking us out and um, I appreciate you guys in the Washington Commanders family. But this is episode 47 of the Bleeding BNG podcast. So I'm going to call this episode the Free Agency Week 1 Recap. The Free Agency Week 1 Recap. And like I do for all of my episodes, guys, I want to give you guys a time step for, um, for this episode. So today is actually Tuesday, March the 22nd. Um, and it's about 8 p.m. So it's a little over a week since the league tampering period started and a little less than the week since, you know, the new league year actually started where guys were actually signing contracts. So um, the tampering period started last Monday where guys are starting to agree to contracts. And we'll get in more into that in this episode. Trust me. Trust me. Um, but, yeah, so today is um, March 22nd, so just a little over a week over the legal tapping period and a little less than the week where guys can actually start signing contracts. So I don't see this episode being too long, guys, because, like I said, this is a free agency week one recap, and I watched the 10 commanders did um, not a lot. They didn't do much at all. Um, so we're going to start with the people that we lost from the Washington, um, previous the Washington football team, or our Washington Commanders roster. So we lost Tim Settle, defensive tackle Tim Settle, who was a rotational defensive lineman who was productive in his limited steps. He was very productive in his limited steps. I think he was better in 2020 than he was in 2021, but I also thought he played a little bit more. Um, and that that was just, a, you know, along the same tune with much of the defensive line outside of Jonathan Allen, you know, those guys just didn't live up to the hype. And while I, I was a big Tim Saddle, Tim Saddle advocate, he was one of my, you know, double year that we were looking for defensive tackles. He was bought in with Deron Payne. You know, they were bought in the same year. And while I didn't think we were going to take a defensive tackle in the first round, which we ended up doing with Deron Payne, Tim Saddle was always a guy on my radar, somebody that I thought that can be available in the third and the fourth rounds, which I think he did end up going in the fourth round. Um, and I loved him. You know, he was a local guy. He was big, you know, the penguin dance. And when he got to Washington, you know, he was everything that I thought. But, you know, just the snaps weren't there. Like I mentioned, he was drafted in the same draft with somebody from his position. Like, the cards were there, you know. Uh, he was somebody that we, I never, if, especially if he was productive, we shouldn't expect him to be a Washington commander for more than his just his rookie contract. If we're being honest with ourselves, and productive he was in his limited uh, in his limited snaps. I think in 2020 he had um, one of the highest um, snaps per you know sacks per snaps ratio in the entire NFL. Um, and I think this was just a classic case of not enough snaps to go around. Um, we did lose Tim Settle. I think we he agreed on the first day of you know the legal tampering period on that Monday. He agreed to a two-year, nine million dollar contract. I think it can go up to about ten and a half million dollars with the Buffalo Bills. And you know, like I said, while it was a classic case of you know too many snaps to go around, I kind of find it hard. Like I didn't I didn't mind the move when it initially happened. To be honest, you know, 
But like I said, I'm a realist, you know, and I'm somebody that knows football, you know, roster construction and things like that. And, you know, if Tim Settle was going to be productive and live up to that fourth-round billing where it's not a high draft pick, but, like, guys from, you know, the second, the third, the fourth, and fifth round, those are guys that are really making up your football team, right? That is the meat and potatoes of your football team. So it's not like, you know, an undrafted free agent or a seventh-rounder. These guys are really important to a roster. And if we expected him to perform to that fourth-round billing, being that he was brought in with Deron Payne, we were going to have to make a decision. And you know we're ultimately always going to make a decision with the first-round pick, even if they show some emblems of hope, which is Deron Payne has shown more than just the emblems. You know, while we have been down on him and making him want to be our biggest trade chip of this offseason, me included, me included, um, so Deron Payne is a really productive player. He is. He's he's really good. I think he had a better 2020. Um, but like I said, just the two with the entire defensive line, them guys just didn't live up to the hype this past year. But I'd be remiss to say he was a bad player or or we rather we, we should have signed Tim Saddle and looked to trade Deron Payne. Nah, nah, not even not even with all the money involved. Like there is a drop off there in play. There is. There is. There's a reason why. Through different regimes, Tim Settle was still a rotational defensive tackle. Productive, but he couldn't give you a snap in and snap out or as own, as many snaps as De'Ron Payne does. He couldn't. Like, let's just be real with ourselves about that one. So, I mean, shout out to you, Big Tim. I love your Penguin dance. Um, like I said, I wasn't really bummed about the move. But, but in the coming days after, we did release Matt Ioannidis. So that makes one of our biggest strengths on our team in the defensive tackle position become one of our biggest weaknesses almost instantly. Almost instantly. And I think that's where really I was bugged out about the Tim Settle move after. Because like a two-year, $9 million contract, that's not crazy. And that's something that we can afford even if you're giving Commander Carson Wentz $28 million. You know, even if he's a $28 million hit to the cap. You could afford it a two-year, $9 million contract. Especially for somebody who was as productive as Tim Settle. If you're going to cut Matt Ioannidis, just flat out cut him. Just flat out cut them. So I'm still trying to figure out the vision for this roster and what we're seeing. Um, like I told you guys last week, I think that this front office isn't very sophisticated. And I think that they're short-sighted. Um, and like a lot of these moves that followed the Carson Wentz move, we touched a lot on that. And I really won't be going um, too much in depth on Carson Wentz or Landon Collins. If you guys want to hear me, my opinions on those moves, um, please check out our last episode. I love, um, I, I, I really went in. <laughs> I really went in. I love that episode because I, I formatted it well, and I think that you guys should check it out. I think that it's worth your time. But um, getting back to the guys that we lost. We lost Matt Ioannidis. We flat out cut him. He eventually did sign with the Carolina Panthers to be with his college coach, Matt Rule. But I'm just like, so we went from having a dominant defensive tackle room, even with this shaky year, to like John Allen and Deron Payne. Like, what do we do after that? And we can't, these are 300-pound linemen. These aren't guys that's going to be playing 100% in the snap. So, like, where where is the rotation now? I'm not counting on David Bada. I know James Smith-Williams is kind of like a hybrid. He played defensive end, and he played defensive tackle at, um, you know, NC State where he played. And I'm not opposed to it, but we need we still need more. We still need more. And I'll touch bases on that a little later in the episode. So keep going on the line on the guys that we missed. So we've touched bases on Tim Settle and Matt Ioannidis so far. Brandon Scherf. We, we knew this was happening. We knew this was happening. Sayonara, my guy. Sayonara, my guy. And guys, the reason that I'm so like harsh, if you guys want to call it on Brandon Scherf, is because Brandon Scherf didn't want to be here. Like, let's be honest. Let's be honest. And now while he has, while he 
may have his reasons. Very well may so have his reasons. You know, Brandon Scherf is a guy that was close to Trent Williams. And with that saga, that, that probably scared him off Washington a bit. But we also have to remember, he had already signed one of those franchise tags before the Trent Williams saga. So we can look at, he may be looking at how the organization treated Kirk Cousins. Not saying if it was right, wrong, or different. But he may have looked at it and was like, yeah, I can't be that guy. Or I'm going to be that guy, pimp him for everything they're worth, and then I'm going to get out because I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here in the long run. Just like Kirk Cousins. Brandon Sheriff really hit us with the Kirk Cousins special. Maximized every dollar while giving us half-ass play. Talented for sure. Just like Kirk is talented. But giving us half-ass play, cutting the check, and then leaving for an even bigger back. Brandon Sheriff pulled the Kirk Cousins special, and I'm not mad at him. Peace. Peace. Because I was a little younger, what, four or five years ago when that was happening with Kirk. Good riddance, my dude. I don't want nobody that doesn't want to be here. Bye, Brandon Sheriff. Bye. This is a guy I think they said that he missed 24 games over the last four seasons. So you holding us hostage, and then you over here playing 10 games a season, bro? Bye. Especially for this contract that the Jacksonville Jaguars gave us, man. A three-year, $49.5 million contract that can be worth up to like $52, $53 million. It's, it's, it, But watch this. Watch it just be our luck. I was about to ask, is 10 games really worth that type of contract? But watch it be just our luck that he returns back to his all-pro fashion. Even though he didn't deserve it in 2020. Brandon Scherf was an all-pro player in 2016 and 2017. I will be the first to admit it. The players declined since then. The players declined since then. And I know a lot of you guys may not realize it. Because you don't watch interior line play. Trust me. His players declined since then. But watch it be our luck. That he returns back to that 2016-2017 form. Um, playing with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I don't know what the hunting scene is like in Jacksonville. It might be it might be good. Because I always thought that he was going to go to some Midwest that, you know, he loves shooting his ducks. You know, he should love shooting his ostrich or whatever he's shooting out there. And maybe that's what led him to Jacksonville without the state tax and things like that. But, hey, man. Peace, Brandon Scherf. Peace, Brandon Scherf. Don't let the doorknob hit you with a good man split you, bro. I'm sick of that. I'm sick of guys... Acting like they want to be here, giving us the Russell Wilson political answer press conference. I don't know who did it first, Kirk Cousins or Russell Wilson. But it's clear that you don't want to be here. Just be honest. And I know you can't be, and I know you won't be. But just know that we see through it over here at Bleeding BNG. We do. We do. So sticking along the offensive line, my guy Eric Flowers was cut. Eric Flowers had a $10 million cap hit, and, you know, I think that this was kind of predictable after the Carson Wentz trade. Like I told you guys last episode, there was sure to be more dominoes to fall. Landon Collins was just the first. He wasn't the only. He wasn't the only. Like I told you about Matt Ioannidis. Matt Ioannidis, his agent is beefing with us. Matt Ioannidis hates us now, bro. He hates us. There's so much bad blood there. It's so much bad blood there that before he went to the Carolina Panthers, I honestly thought he was going to sign with the NFC East team to play us twice a year. The same day, almost within the same hour that he got traded. I mean, he got released. His agent like, Washington lied to us, bro. They told us that we were, going, that, that we were good. That we were good. 
Now you just cut us like you don't want us? And guess what? I know they're not lying because guess what? That conversation probably happened before the concert went straight. Where you took a $28 million cap hit for a mid QB. Mid. Big mid. Top 20. Top 20 caliber quarterback. But we upgraded at the position though. That's all that matters to some of y'all. So like I said, Landon Collins wasn't the first domino to fall. Eric Flowers, cut. Eric Flowers, cut. Now I don't want to speak too passionately about it because I don't know if Eric Flowers was, you know, willing to restructure. I don't know if he actually reached out to him or just outright cut him. I don't know that. But, like, come on, man. Come on, like I told y'all, I was at every game last year. I was at every game last year. There was nobody more passionate on the team. Outside of Chase Young, because while he did have a down season, we know Chase Young is uh, the rah-rah. That's his stuff. We know that's his stuff. And I think it's legit. I don't think he's faking it. I think he's legit, you know, passionate about this game and playing this game and things like that. But outside of Chase Young, Aaron Flowers was the most excited to be out there on game day. Not only could I see it, he said it before in his interview coming back last year. He mentioned how while going back to Miami was his home. Washington is his NFL home. Go look at his interview that he had with Josina Anderson the day he came back. Last season. And this is a guy who was arguably, arguably our best offensive lineman this year. I know a lot of us love Charles Leno. We love his family. We love his wife. We love communicating with them. I'll take Eric Flowers. I'll take his play over Charles Leno's last year. Shout out to Charles Leno. You're not a bad guy, but you did get my man Ryan Fitzpatrick hurt, if we're being honest. I think a lot of people have seen him to for, forget, forgotten that. And if you're in that Washington Commanders community, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But shout out to Charles Leno. Great dude. Great dude. But Eric Flowers was arguably our best offensive lineman last, last year. Damn sure our best guard. Damn sure our best guard. Yes, I'm looking at you, Brandon Sheriff. I told you. Peace. Like Ludacris in the early 2000s. Roll out. So these dominoes continue to fall. These dominoes continue to fall. Like, and, and, like I said, like a guy like Eric Flowers, that's where it really like starts to puzzle me, right? Because... This is a guy that clearly wanted to be a Washington commander. So is taking a $28 million hit for a top 20 QB worth that? Losing your guys that were productive for you? And then I really almost lost my shit when the same day that, you know, we were, you know, losing all these guys, cutting all these guys. It was reported that my guy, the guy that I told y'all in September was better than Chris Thompson. The guy who I am a president of his fan club. The guy who I think is the second best offensive player on this team. It was reported that he was going to the Buffalo Bills. My guy, J.D. McKissick, on a two-year, $7 million contract. And that's why I was so pissed at first. At first. We couldn't get my man J.D. $3.5 million? That's what I was thinking. 
That's what I was thinking. But remember, it was the legal tampering period. And my guy JD just proved to me that he was who I thought he was. He was who I thought he was. My guy. He ended up spurring the Buffalo Bills and re-signing with Washington when they matched the contract. Leaving the Buffalo front office in shambles. They still talking about that shit today. Get over it, Brandon Bean. Oh, crybaby ass. JD, man, you, you didn't let your boy down. They know. Everybody listening to this podcast, watching this podcast, they know. You probably had me in mind when you were signing that thing. You was like, nah, man, we can't leave my man stutter over there bleeding me and G. We can't. We can't. Not the president of my fan club, but guess what? Your boy back for two terms. Term two. Term two, and I'm here for another two years at least. At least. Shout out to J.D. McKissick, man. I was so excited when he spurred them boys. Like I said, he just proved to be the person that I knew him to be. He just proved to be the person that I knew him to be. A playmaker. Loyal. Reliable. And you guys know, like, Jerry Patterson, that's my guy. That's practically family to me. And while I was, you know, excited at the prospects of him having more carries, I can't be losing J.D. We got to find a way to incorporate both of them. J.D. McKissick is the sole reason we won two games last year. If I'm not mistaken, it was the Atlanta game and the Seattle Seahawks game that he ended up getting injured in. I don't think we win either of those games without J.D. McKissick. The best third down back in the league. And I'm hearing guys in the Washington Commanders community. I'm not even hearing them. They talking to me. Oh, dude, you're doing the most for a third down runner. Shut the hell up. Shut the hell up. Because y'all the same ones that was on y'all knees when y'all figured out he was re-signing. How soon we forget. Oh, how the tide changes. Dude, you're doing the most for, for, for a third down running back that's turning 29 coming off a neck injury. Well, guess what? Where's your tune now? He's back on the team. I want to see you do that complete 180. Because I'm still here. I'm still here. The switch up. <laughs> the switch up. So, J.D. McKissick returned to the Washington Commanders on a two-year, $7 million contract. So, now let's go on to the guys that we gained in free agency. Like I told you, it ain't much. It ain't much. I ain't even expect this episode to go this long. But, hey, we here. We here. Your number one content hub for the Washington Commanders over here at Bleeding B&G. So, we signed J.D. McKissick to a two-year, $7 million contract. We also added Andrew Norwell. To take some of that head away from, you know, Brandon Scherf and Eric Flowers not being on the team anymore. Andrew Norrell is a guard who's entering his age 31 season. He was actually brought in. He wasn't drafted. He was undrafted, but brought in by the Carolina Panthers when Ron Rivera was there. And they turned him into an all-pro player. Signing the largest contract at a time for a guard in 2018 with the Jacksonville Jaguars, ironically. So he returns to Ron and company on a two-year, $10 million deal with just $5 million per year. And while I like the move, like while I like the move, because I remember how good he was in Carolina, I don't follow the Jacksonville Jaguars as heavily. I don't. I, I, I know about a lot of people on the team, but I don't know like how they produce snap in and snap out. I don't. Just being transparent. and But I, I, I have to wonder, like, If his play didn't drop off so much, how does he go from the highest contract for a guard in NFL history 
to a two-year $10 million deal? Is he giving Ron the homeboy discount? I know he already got his money, but, like, he's only 30. Like, I don't think he's taking paychecks, pay cuts. Unless he's giving Ron the homeboy discount for bringing him in and things like that, you know, coming out of college. But I also think that he has the potential of being a little bit better than Eric Flowers. A tad bit. But Eric Flowers was very productive. So while I'm not mad at the move, like, I need more. I do need more. We've had a couple of restructures to open up a tad bit more uh, space. But we're still a little bit strapped because of Carson Wentz. We're still a little bit strapped. Because we have a mid-quarterback taking a $28 million cap hit. I'm going to keep reminding you guys of that too. We also brought back safety Bobby McCain. So Lamb is out the door, but we brought back safety Bobby McCain at a two-year $11 million contract for about $5.5 million per year that I'm actually not mad at. Like you guys know, I was calling Bobby McCain out early in the season because he had the audacity to call us out as fans. Like their play was up to par. But I will admit... After that little, you know, temper tantrum he threw. Oh, you guys aren't on our side. Oh, Go back and check out our Bleeding BNG episodes for the Bobby McCain impression. I will admit, after that, his play rose. He got better. Not just the two interception game in the season finale against the Giants, but there were often games where, like, you didn't hear Bobby McCain's name. And as a free safety, that's a good thing. That means that you're either deterring the quarterback from throwing it deep or you're not missing tackles. And I saw a lot of that consistency and, you know, just solid play from Bobby McCain over the course of the second half of the season. And I think that's worth $5.5 million per year, especially as somebody his age and at the free safety position where it wasn't very deep to start. I know Marcus Williams got the bag, and I know a lot of people are, oh, bring in the honey. Guys, Tyron Matthews is not coming here. He is trying to win. He's trying to win. He's trying to go somewhere where he knows he can win. Not saying that we're going to be bad next year, but we don't know that for a fact. Guys like Tyra Matthew, they want to go to a contender. Guys like Bobby McCann, I mean, guys like Bobby Wagner, excuse me, they want to go to a contender. And that leads me to what I think we should be we should be doing next in free agency. What are our next steps in the second and third waves of free agency? So I think that we should look into bringing a linebacker, guys. Like, we still don't have that middle linebacker. And I'm still confused as how the guys that played linebacker and Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio can't evaluate goddamn good linebacker play, bro. Or how they can't persuade a linebacker to come join the Washington Commanders. It's either one. One of them is, one of them is true. Because we don't have a middle linebacker. We drafted Jamin Davis to be that. He was better off the ball. I could have told you that in April when you drafted him. April 2020. One. And if I go out there in September and I see goddamn John Bostick or David Mayo taking snaps in the middle of my defense, I'm jumping the fence. I'm jumping the gate. I'm jumping the gate. Somebody on the team got to fight me on the field. I better not see it. I better not see it. So as far as next moves, if you got to go get an A.J. Johnson from the Denver Broncos, do it. If you got to get a Dante Hightower from the New England Patriots, who's not what he once was, but he's better than the zeros that we have on this roster, do it.
if you got to get a Danny Trevathan from the Chicago Bears, who also isn't once what he once was, but he's only 31 and better than the zeros that we have on this roster, do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. We need a middle linebacker, bro. We need it. And my preference would probably be Alexander Johnson because he has had two really good, strong seasons back-to-back. And he's dynamic. He has some popping with him in the run game. And also pretty decent in coverage. Not exceptional. But that's supposedly what Jamin Davis and Cole Holcomb are there for. Bring me Alexander Johnson. Bring, bring him. Bring me a linebacker. I ain't even going to be greedy. Bring a linebacker. Because I can play linebacker better than David Mayo. I promise you that. I better not see hitting a number 51 on the field again. I better not see a number 51 on that goddamn Washington football team, Washington Commanders field again, FedEx field. I better not see it. Also, a lot of people are harping on us to bring in another wide receiver. That's what the draft is for, guys. I'll touch a little bit on that at the end of the episode. That's what the draft is for. We're not going to sign any big-name wide receivers when we have a Terry McLaurin extension on the books. Just the optics of that isn't good. Just the optics of that. Why would you give another receiver big-time money when one of the most productive receivers that you've had in this franchise history, yeah, I'm willing to say that after three years, is still on his rookie deal? The optics of that isn't clean. So we're not signing any big-name wide receivers. I knew that going into free agency. I'm just explaining to you guys why. So stop begging for it. Now with us losing with guys like Matt Ioannidis and Tensato, I do think that we need some help on the defensive line. So bringing a guy in like Star Lutalele, who has history with Wild, or a guy like Eddie Goldman from the Chicago Bears, who is from the city, who's from D.C. Let's bring him home. I'm not mad at that either. But we got to do more. We got to do more. Because we have the bare necessities over here in the free agents right now. We have the bare necessities over here in free agents right now. We have to do more. More must be done. So that'll do it for this week's episode of the Bleeding BNG podcast, episode 47. Guys, I'm about to start pushing out much more content. I'm talking about multiple episodes a week because it's draft season. That's the most optimistic time that we have as a Washington Commanders fan. That's the most optimistic we are each year, every year for the last 25 years. That's why, you know, I want this one not done shirt. Because it's our time now. It's our time. The off-season, it's our time. Off-season champions, baby. But we off to a slow start with this free agency. But hopefully we can pick it up in the draft. So I'm coming with a lot more draft content. Might have some film breakdowns for you. Dabbling into some new things to show you guys that I know football. I know football. And we're also trying to be your number one club over here, Number one content hub over here um, at Bleeding BNG for everything Washington Commanders. So, if you're checking this out on YouTube, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. I greatly appreciate that. If you're listening to us, remember, we're available on all podcast platforms at this point. We're available on all podcast platforms. But if you're listening to us specifically on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please rate us. Please rate us, review, and um, let's finesse these algorithms so that we're pushing Bleeding B&G to the top. So, when you're looking for anything Washington Commanders... We're one of those first things to pop up. That's what we're looking for. 
If you haven't already, follow our social media pages. Our Instagram is at BleedingBNG. That's B-L-E-E-D-I-N-G-B-N-G. Our Twitter handle is spelled a tad bit different. That's at BleedingBNG, B-L-E-E-D-I-N-B-N-G. So there's only one G in our Twitter handle. Be sure to check us out. We're posted on there daily. We keep the conversations going amongst the Washington Commanders community. And we just like talking. We just like talking ball, talking Washington Commanders to you guys. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe if you're checking this out on YouTube. And I'll check you on the flip side. Peace.